listening to a podcast from the Cinema Geekly Podcast Network. We're the geeks you deserve and the ones you need right now. This is the land of the free and the home of the lawsuit. I did everything in my power to defend my client. We do have an issue we need to discuss. There's no wiggle room here. Do me a favor. Shut up. What have I done? You better send someone out there to find him. You believe me, right? You drink one, drink two, drink three Long Island iced teas. But your buddy's worse off when he throws you his car keys. Blue lights are blinking four o'clock in the morning. State Trooper makes you wish that you'd never been born. Better call Saul, better call Saul. You want to tell the world you're in love with a girl named Fran? So you find an overpass and you say it with a spray paint can. Blue lights start a blink and those handcuffs click. You know who to call and you better call quick. Saul, Saul, you better call Saul. You'll fight for your rights when your back's to the wall. Stick it to the man, justice for all. You better call Saul. It's another episode of Better Talk Saul, Cinema Geekly's Better Call Saul podcast. It's Anthony and Glenn. Talking another episode of Saul. There are now only two episodes left after this. Womp womp. No kidding. But we are approaching. So stupid. I feel like we're. <laughs> that, that the season is almost over. <laughs> it's just dumb. I too am angry. Uh, and I feel like we're getting like closer and closer, like step by step closer to Breaking Bad somehow, even though I feel like the show's got at least another season, but I'm hoping two more in it. Um, so I, I can't wait to talk about this episode, uh, cause there was some stuff, um, that I was agreeing with you on from last week's episode, but I feel like some stuff that happened, uh, from last week's episode, but from this week's episode, I feel like some stuff happened that kind of changed my mind a little bit about how I felt about it. Okay. Uh, so let's hop on in. It's season three, episode eight called Slip. Uh, we get a flashback to Jimmy and Marco. Everybody remember Marco, the fat guy that Jimmy worked with in his cotton jobs? Uh, they recover some coins from the remnants of McGill's old general store to use in an upcoming con. Jimmy berates Marco for calling his father beloved instead of criticizing him for his honesty. Uh, in the present, Chuck consults with Dr. Cruz and admits that the events of the disciplinary hearing demonstrated that his EHS is mental in nature. Dr. Cruz agrees to help Chuck, and he is able to walk to his store to buy groceries on his own. However, he is met by Howard when he returns home, who informs him that there is a problem with his malpractice insurance. Hmm. Uh, Jimmy's guitar store clients, the Sklar brothers, uh, become suspicious of his motives and refuse to pay him. Jimmy stages a slip and fall con, slipping on a drumstick and injuring himself in the process. While at lunch, Kim is offered a new client from her Mesa Verde companions when she encounters Howard. She tries to pay back her law school loans to Howard, though he refuses and coldly accuses her of betraying the firm, to which Kim replies that he should not have tried to cover up Chuck's condition. Kim returns to the office to find Jimmy with his half of the rent, indicating that he used the slip and fall to coerce the guitar shop into paying him off. Uh, not just with that, he walked away with a sweet guitar, an autographed guitar and a, 
uh, and an app as well, I think. Uh, Kim replies that... Uh, oh, that's the previous sentence, my bad. Uh, despite Jimmy's assurances, Kim still expresses doubts about Jimmy's ability to pay, considers taking out another client. Jimmy later is able to make $700 during his community service by helping a drug dealer, quote-unquote, see his sick child by threatening the supervisor with uh, a bevy of lawsuits and legalese. Meanwhile, Nacho puts his plan to kill Hector Salamanca in motion, successfully switching his heart medication pills with a carefully prepared substitute containing only ibuprofen. Mike, using information he gained from Nacho, tracks down the body of the Good Samaritan that Hector shot last season and reports the discovery to the police. Later that night, Mike approaches Gus to seek help in laundering the remaining $200,000 he stole from Hector so that it can be left to his family. Gus agrees, warning Mike that the process will be difficult, and both men shake hands. What did you uh, think of the episode this week, sir? I thought it was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a feeling what you were going to talk to me about was when I said I don't need to see Hector's downfall. Yeah. But, man, him trying to switch those pills. That was, was like the most intense thing I've seen on TV <laughs> was, in a while. Oh, my gosh. Like, oh. Holy cow. They built so much tension. Michael Mandu. Mandos did such a good job selling every second of it. Um, yeah, he was unbelievable. Without saying anything, he never said... I mean, he I mean, he said a few lines here and there. But largely it was all in his face. All, like, you get shots of his hands fidgeting with the pills. When he goes back to make that cappuccino, and he just has to, like, stretch his hands out, put them on the counter, like, it's Takes done. That huge sigh of relief. Um... Because the idea he has is, uh, and they show him practicing earlier, is to get Hector to take his jacket off. And at some point, he causes a distraction with Hector so that he can reach into the, the pocket to uh, uh, to steal the pills. And in practice, he has to improvise because the pocket he reaches into doesn't have the pills and he has to make up another... Uh, he has to pretend to drop a whole lot of money or whatever to pick it up so he can take the pills out. Which but, works because it's like he's sweaty, like things are going to be slippery. Yes. So in order to make Hector take off his jacket, he has to break some, uh, I guess, some like exhaust ports, pipes or something like that. Yeah, I mean, he essentially busts the pipes to the Freon. Yeah. And it's making it incredibly hot in the restaurant. So Hector takes off his jacket uh, but then the tricky part is once he has the pills replaced, uh, we see Nacho like uh, in his in the garage of his father's business, like practicing this, trying to casually walk past the jacket and lob the pills into the pocket, and he's constant. And all we ever see is him missing it over mm-hmm. and over and over again. And here he goes to do it, except you know this time it's for real. He's super nervous. His hands are shaking. He's sweaty. And he just swishes. He just walks by and tosses it, and it lands right in the pocket. And uh, it was such a it was such a great scene. Um, the weird thing is, I feel maybe it isn't weird because we've we this show has a tendency of doing this to us. But I think both of us were relatively certain that it is whatever Nacho does 
to Hector that puts Hector in the wheelchair. So we know that Hector ends up in the wheelchair. So that must mean Nacho succeeded in whatever he was doing. Yet this whole time, I kept wondering, is he going to fuck it up? Is Hector going to figure oh, it know, out? Right? <laughs> just they had me believing. They hooked me in. Like, I was pretty sure. In the back <laughs> of my mind, I knew he was going to make it, but I, that part of me was not present while watching this episode. Like, I was just glued. Like, holy shit, this is so... Like, why is this so captivating right now? It's just a dude trying to slip a bottle into a dude's pocket, but... Man, do they have? They just have a knack for this sort of storytelling, and um, it's just, that's just. I mean, look, I still don't know if we needed to see the the backstory of how Hector ended in the ended up in the wheelchair, but I'm happy they decided to tell it because we got to see that scene because uh, mm-hmm. it was awesome. Uh, but yeah, continue on with your thoughts about the episode, though. I'm glad I no, got that I mean- out of the way. No, I was just gonna say, like, I've, I've I had a feeling that's what you're gonna talk about. But no, just that scene was full. Oh, oh my god! Yeah, like, that was just. Oh, I yeah. I still just Robbie and I were sitting there, and she was just like, "I'm so nervous." Like he's got me shaking. Yeah, it was draining. And uh, but yeah, just that, and then like such really good just shots. Like I, you sometimes forget, like these are forty minute episodes. Yeah. Like this, uh, like the pacing with uh, Mike and the metal detector. Um, oh my gosh! Yes. You know, again, every time they show Mike, very little talking, and you're just kind of sitting there, like, "What's he doing?" Like, you know, you, and they do they do a very good job of getting the viewer intrigued. Yeah. Do you think they've? Do you think maybe as a criticism, they've done too much of the pointing out how methodical Mike is, or? Uh, do you think that serves the episode better? Because they do do this a lot, where they they showed Mike meticulously taking apart a car, meticulously setting up the car tracker thing. You know, uh, here he's meticulously searching with a, a metal detector. Like they do show it a lot. I don't know if the in, I don't think the intention is to point out to the audience how meticulous he is. Um, I don't think that's what they're trying to do. Um. I think they gather that their audience is smart enough to figure that out. Um, I think they're just doing it because that's what Mike does. Uh, and they like creating... Um, I think they use it as an excuse to do cool and interesting uh, shots, like ways to shoot things or present things, uh, as they did here. Like they did the bit where you've got like multiple mics on the screen all at once and they kind of fade away bit after bit as he doesn't find anything wherever you know wherever he's searching in that particular location um but do you think they i mean do you think they're trying to like beat the audience over the head to let you know that mike is a super meticulous guy or something or is it the other thing or is it something else i just think it's more of i think it's just a narrative that works really well Mm -hmm. so you trying to figure out what mike's doing yeah is entertaining in and of itself Agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, he would do some of that in Breaking Bad, even with, yeah. like, Walter. So, I mean, it's not even, like, a a new thing. Like, I just think they just do a good job of... Presenting it. Of telling it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> Jimmy and uh, the Slip Jimmy, and fall. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy and the Skyler brothers. The um, 
So was was that what the flashback was for? Or did they touch on the flashback in another way in this episode? Because without... I, I didn't pick up on anything other than the fact that Jimmy and Marco were setting up to do another con, and Jimmy does a con in this episode. I thought it was more of like exploiting people's naivete. Like, they were trying to hustle him, but it's like, you can't hustle the hustler. Yeah. So the fact, like, deep down, like, these are decent guys. I mean, they were willing to pay for the whole package of stuff once they saw that it worked. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think he was just trying to prove poor bigness, poor business practices. Like, if you're willing to let yourself be privy to this, like, he's going to exploit it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he had a couple of great scenes. That that was one, but I really enjoyed the community service bit. Oh my god, dude. That was the absolute best. Where he just ran circles around his... The... So the guy could go deal drugs. Yeah. That's my favorite thing. <laughs> so Jimmy could make 700 bucks to pay rent. Look, I know you got like a couple thousand dollars in your sock. Yep. <laughs> He knew he had nothing to do with seeing a sick kid. It's like, you're a drug dealer. I don't know what you're talking about, man. Uh, yeah, I, you know, seven, give me 700 bucks. I'll make sure you get out of here. Um, and the way he legalized the shit out of that guy, you know, he's like, you know, you signed waivers. You can't sue the state. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not going to sue the state. I'm just going to sue you personally. It's a, uh, you know, for not letting this guy go. He's like, my back hurts. You're trying to make me work. I've, I've sustained an injury on the job. Um, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Uh, and it worked, too. It totally worked. He freed that guy, and he got to, like, lay down on his back for a while. Yep. Um, but, yeah, the, uh, that was a great scene. Uh, we've, we're seeing the formation of the Mike and Gus union here uh and including the money laundering uh but well it's not really including the money laundering mike already knows that he's using gus is using los pollos hermanos for to launder the drug dealing money already um it's a front yeah and and gus is already looking at the the what what was that place like the laundry yeah it's a commercial laundry commercial laundry place whatever dry cleaning whatever it is, uh, to do more of that. So, uh, so we're seeing all of these things, all of these pieces coming together. Uh, people keep asking how long is it going to be until we see Walter? White. I don't think we ever see Walter white on an episode of maybe, I mean, maybe at the very end, maybe, but I'm not, I don't know. I guess I'm not expecting the only thing it. It's, the only thing is, is how are they going to do, this overlapping with Walter White. The only thing I could see, because it's it's uh, it's Saul that approaches Jesse and yeah, and and Walter, right? Like he's the one who approaches them. Mm-hmm, I believe so. So that would be the to me that'd be the only way I could see it being done is yeah, is um, he somehow gets wind of them? Yeah. Um, the and this episode too. I feel like is the, I mean, I know, I know you, we've said a couple of episodes back, we feel like we've seen like the birth of Saul Goodman, but I really feel like the real birth may have been in this episode. 
when he basically lawyered, like <laughs> used his lawyering skills. He's not supposed to, but he used them to get money and help a drug dealer. Yep. Uh, like crooked, crooked lawyer Saul Goodman. Uh, and I feel like this is like maybe crooked lawyer Saul Goodman's first case, like first unofficial uh, client or whatever. Had a lot of dealing ways. with semantics. Right. I mean, because clearly he got it worked. He got his money. And there's no way like he's obviously going to put the put the numbers together here. And he's going to realize he could do this like back alley lawyer. Uh, and as long as he's helping shady people, uh, they're not going to turn him in. And he helps them and he makes, you know, the, the money that he needs. Uh, yep. The question it's a win-win for everybody. The question is how that ultimately ends up affecting everybody else uh, in his, um, you know, in, in his, like, sphere of influence, I guess. How is this going to affect Kim? How is this going to affect Chuck? Like, Oh, my God. Stuff. How great was that scene with Kim and freaking Howard? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, the part where she goes to the table or his table. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, the, the out, outside of the, the restaurant actually. Oh, was. outside, but I mean, like her power moved to him, his power moved to her. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he comes. Oh hey, don't don't get up, sit down. That sort of thing. That yeah, uh, she does the same back to him. Um, oh god, she, he's like, what is this? You know what it is. You know what it is. Um, I, you know I'm having to do damage control. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Because you kind of like, and I mean, she smacked. The I kind of, of him feel verbally. bad for Howard in a way. Yeah, because it's like he's really put in a tough spot. <laughs> like he is. Like he has a business to protect because, like you said, like all the malpractice suits he could face because of Chuck. I mean, yeah, if he's found to be mentally incapacitated. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, any any case he may have had a hand in. At any time, actually, could be um, called into question, perhaps. But, um, you know, at least anything since he started showing signs or symptoms of any of this, anything that he'd worked on, uh, could all come under question. Uh, The fact that they, you know, kept him on the... kept him on the the namesake and he was still part of the board, uh, all of that stuff, uh, creates a lot of problems, (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, too, Howard had no reason to think that it was a mental thing. I don't think. I think he probably had a feeling. Maybe had an idea, an inkling, yeah. perhaps. Possible. That's possible. Well, I, mean, I think because I mean, he's the one who's trying to get him to sign papers and stuff and retire because he's... True, true, true. I mean, I think he was trying to make sure that his name wasn't on any document for a long time is what it feels like the first season, especially, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no. To me, I just felt like it was. Uh, but yeah, and he just rips that check in front of her, and oh man, like, <laughs> and she, you know, she's just your dead as. But that's the thing is, you see how you know you see how upset she is. Like, she has remorse for what she did, but it's like, just like Jimmy, Jimmy does some bad things for her, mm-hmm. and she a quote-unquote bad thing or what she views as negative. I mean, not, yeah. It's not altruistically good what she did. Right. Um, definitely 
definitely a little bit more towards the neutral side. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you just see all those doubts around her, and then, you know, and Jimmy gives her that money, and she's like, you know what, I got this, you know. Yep. I think she's, you know, in a way, it's like maybe she's trying to prove that she doesn't need Jimmy. Yep. Since she proved to Howard that she didn't need him. You know, she walks in and he's on his back playing guitar and it's like, okay, what did he do to be able to get this, you know? Yep. Um, oh, go ahead. No, I just, I mean, it just seems like she is, in a way, trying to distance herself from him as the season goes on. Yeah. You know, what's going to be really sad, um, and probably damn good television, if they go really far into this route is having to see Kim and Jimmy go against each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's definitely like, you know, similar to Jesse and Walt, you know, like when, once it became them two against each other, like, it's like, man, you guys spent all this time, but it, they were always on shaky ground. It's like, they're on shaky ground, but there's also romantic involvement and, you know, true caring for one another. So when, when this is going to go awry, like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be ready. Just because, because the way they've handled the relationship has just been so great that mm-hmm. when it inevitably falls, like, it's really going to suck. Uh, I mean, I like Kim a lot. She is a very strong female character. And uh, speaking of strong female character, hey, we're, getting, we're going into a plug, everybody. Uh, speaking of strong female characters, Glenn, do you know who else is? Buffy the Vampire Slayer? No, close. She doesn't have a movie out right now. Or maybe she does, but it's not playing wide in theaters. Uh, no, I, of course, am talking about Wonder Woman. Uh, the number one movie at the box office, Glenn. I don't know if you've heard, but it's doing well. Uh... You can go see I've seen it. We haven't done a regular Cinema Geekly podcast yet. We're going to try to do one very soon. Uh, But Glenn has seen it. I have seen it. I think a couple of the other people on the site have seen it as well. I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, You should go see it too. And there's a way that you can do that to help benefit us at the same time. Uh, Buy your tickets through Fandango. Go to cinemageekly.com slash Fandango. Go to cinemageekly.com and click the Fandango link at the top of the page. If you don't feel like entering in the URL manually. Uh, and use that link to buy your tickets, buy gift cards for family members for uh, special occasions and whatnot. Uh, if you use the link uh, that we've provided, we get a kickback. It supports us a teeny tiny little bit. Uh, and it's a good way to, it's a good time of the year. School's out for a lot of the kids, summer vacation, the weekend is approaching, uh, at least here. I imagine down where you are as well, Glenn, it's going to be swelteringly hot. I know up here it's going to be. Um, it's I think it would be a good time to go visit a nice air-conditioned movie theater and take in a... Yeah, you only have to see the big blockbusters, you know. I, I'm going to probably see this movie called It Comes at Night this weekend. Looks pretty good. Gonna, I thought you were going to say Megan Levy. I, I, I'm sorry. How the fuck does that movie have as high of a score as it does? The Megan Levy... Uh, who is that, too? That's um, uh, not Rooney Mara. It's... Uh, Kate. Kate Mara, about a lady, a lady soldier and her dog friend. Okay, okay, it's dropped down to seventy nine. But I was like, when it was sitting there at like eighty eight, it's like how? <laughs> it must how? Be, it must be pretty decent, I guess. That movie looks like such a cornball mess. <laughs> it looks so stupid. 
Well, I mean, hey, Fent, you can go when see When she says the line, the dog taught me how to love, that is <laughs> one of the dumbest fucking things I've ever heard. Hey, maybe she was uh, Look, one of those... Look, I love my dog. Everybody knows. You go on my Facebook, I post way too many pictures about him. Oh, yeah. But I'm never going to say <laughs> boomers taught me how to love. Like all these people who try and get their pets as support animals, like well, man, I mean, if you really if you really need it, good. But some I mean, of these people just doing it so you can get your dog on a freaking plane, like this movie's for you. I mean, if you wanted to get a good laugh out of me, you could post a picture saying he taught me how to love, uh, <laughs> and I would get a good <laughs> chuckle out of it now. But <laughs> I'm probably good. I might just go do that. <laughs> uh, just quote Megan Levy. <laughs> <laughs> just use quotes from the film. Just post pictures of the dog and just. Put and like, like, I don't mean to. I hate that we have to use stupid disclaimers because people are dumb. But yeah. obviously, I'm not making fun of her or what she did or what her dog did. But no, I'm the, sorry. Dramatiz- the dramatization, that's the, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. The cinemifying of her story. Some of that yeah. stuff does sound like Hallmark movie quality dialogue. Yeah, I mean, so. look, if she really said it, good for her. She's obviously not one of the ones I'm making fun of that. I mean, maybe she's think a soci- they need it. Maybe she's yeah. a sociopath and she just didn't know how to feel love and never loved anybody in her life. You know, that's kind of how they. That's kind. You ain't gonna come back from the war and do this. You ain't going off to war. Like, yeah, <laughs> man, they really put her family, her mom, in a weird light. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she sounds like a very unique and uh like her the way she is is just kind of all over the map as far as her her moral compass yeah it's kind of uh, weird well speaking of people with uh weird moral compasses what would you give this week's episode of better call Saul? oh this my show's god full of them. okay you know who directed this megan levy movie oh i thought you were gonna ask who directed this episode no i don't know who directed the megan levy movie the one who did that documentary, Blackfish. Oh, okay. I've seen Blackfish. Blackfish like, is great, but it kind of makes like... sense. It's like they use the same sentiment for yes. a gigantic killer whale for uh, a war movie. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if it's really a war movie. No, the other thing, too, there's this book by the guy who wrote uh, Thank You for Smoking called Boomsday. Mm-hmm. I, like, and it kinda... I like Thank You for Smoking, I think. Yeah, yeah. that was a... Uh... Aaron Eckhart, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he wrote this other book called Boomsday, and I don't need to go into it. But, like, the opening part of the movie is, like, dealing with landmines and whatnot. Like, that's what this kind of seems like this movie's like, but with a dog instead of a senator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, Better Call Saul, probably get, like, a four and a half out of five. Uh, so, I think I think <laughs> we can see here, you give it four out of five. Four and, I, four and a half out of five. Four and a half out of five. Okay, so before I give the movie the or the episode the score, uh, I think we see why they had to like cinematize Megan Levy's story. Because <laughs> I'm on Megan Levy's Facebook page. Let me tell. Let me tell I'm you this. I'm so right sorry, now. people. I'm so sorry that we did this. Let me let me tell you this right now. This is the real story, and you can see why they had to cinematize it. Uh, let's see here. She enlisted in the Marines in 2003, where she was stationed at Camp Pendleton in California. She was paired with a military working dog named Rex. The pair served two deployments in Iraq together. They were first deployed to Fallujah in 2005 and then to Ramadi in 2006. They were both wounded by an IED. 
Uh, Levy was awarded the Purple Heart and the Navy Marine Corps Achievement Medal uh, with a a V device denoting heroism in combat. Levy first sought to adopt Rex after the 2006 bomb blast. Later, when Rex developed facial palsy that ended his bomb-sniffing duties, Levy petitioned the Marine Corps for his adoption. They were reunited in 2012 uh, through the intervention of Senator Chuck Schumer Rex died December 22nd, 2012. So that's a sad story, by the way. Um, So so it sounds like she tried to adopt him for six years and she ran in. So it sounds like the story of this movie is like her quest to adopt the dog. And I'm guessing because of the fact that he was a military dog and that he performed uh, services and stuff, obviously bomb sniffing and things like that. It was probably difficult for her to gain guardianship and it sounds like she wasn't able to gain guardianship until after he was unable to like do bomb sniffing stuff. But that, I mean, you know, that's the, that's the whole story. And to turn that into like two hours, you're going to have to like, you know, fictionalize some things, dramatize some things, write some dialogue. About he's the most aggressive dog I've ever seen. He's going to be yours. And he's going to teach you I guess how to that's love. A bad, that's a bad voice because it's Common who's actually... Who's, who's Is it Common? Yeah, it's the one who gives her the dog. Um, <laughs> so I would... Um, okay, uh, anyway, back to Better Yeah, better I'm sorry. I just, we, yeah, well, people should expect it. <laughs> I, gave, I gave this episode four and three quarters that was uh, so close to giving this a five. That, that scene, the nacho scene... Holy cow! It was like almost the whole episode for me. Like that would have been enough in any one episode for yeah, me to be like, "Oh, this was a great episode." Not everything like flowed together. It was just no. like really good moments. Yeah, but I mean, like, it's like a bunch of al- short films. That moment alone would have been good enough for me to be like, "This was a great episode." But mm-hmm. we had the slip and fall stuff. The 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 stuff with the the community service guy. We got the scenes with Kim and Howard. Uh, even, uh, even that bit with Chuck in the grocery store, uh, was, was interesting. Like him struggling to, and he's got like these devices that he uses to try to keep his focus, like focusing on an item and its color and trying to like, remember them. Although unfortunately for him, it makes him sound crazy. If anyone was close enough to hear him, he's just like yellow blazer, gray floor, purple rug. Like, you know, he's going to sound nuts to anybody who's walking by him. But I, I found that interesting uh, as well. So there's just a, a ton of goodness in this episode. I loved it. Uh, it is a shame that when we come back next week, it will be the penultimate episode. Which means it's going to be like the best episode. It could be if they stick to tradition. We'll see. Um, I, I, tr- I don't want to tr- I don't want to set the bar too high. I'm always scared to set the bar high. I'm afraid at some point this show is going to let me down somehow. It never has. But I'm always scared in the back of my mind that they're going to have an episode that doesn't quite uh, meet the high high, high bar we've set for it. Uh, all right. Uh, head on over to cinemageekly.com. Check out the archives of Better Talk Saul. Check out all the other podcasts we're doing as well. Feel free to check out uh, this crazy... Uh, mental experiment I have going on where I've done a podcast with my eldest child uh, and I try to predict uh, movies that she may like uh, that 
a 14 year old girl typically wouldn't enjoy but uh so far i'm one for one and then you and i have our dog movies podcast coming out indeed (laughs) we rate and review every film about canines um yeah it's gonna be weird when john wick's the top one (laughs) yeah well i mean we're starting with air buds so we'll see uh you know what's we'll you know what's funny? I was we'll actually in a uh, I was in a focus group that helped pick one of the uh, covers for one of the Airbud movies. Oh, seriously? Yeah, that's it was crazy. Weird. I was at the mall. And got like picked with a couple of kids to pick. What, that's an what, amazing story. What DVD or VHS cover I liked best? That's how meticulous these people are. They did a focus group about what cover they should use. Yeah, it was weird. I can't remember which one I picked. I got a free ice cream out of it for Chick-fil-A, but I can't remember <laughs> which one it was. I remember what was funny is because, like, you know, however many months or maybe even a year, like, after I saw that cover, I didn't watch Air Buds. I mean, sure. by that time, like, I mean, I've seen, like, the first one. No, well, they sent first, me a free copy. First two. Yeah, I, whatever whatever it is up until he plays football, as I've seen that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but yeah, like it was like the first Air Buddies one, and I was like, oh, it's weird. There's puppies of these. So whatever the first DVD cover is, where, the, yeah. where they have puppies, yeah. Um, I the one that it is, that's one of the ones I picked. Huh. Yeah, that's a crazy story. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I don't. <laughs> I've I've known you for years, and this is the first time I've ever heard this story. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I don't really bring it up. It was just they, no. I mean, I also how, don't really talk about earbuds too much. How, how often would that come up in conversation? Quite frankly, <laughs> it was um, just kind of weird. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, so yeah, uh, I think I plugged everything already. Uh, iTunes, run iTunes and Google Play Music. Uh, search for Better Talk Saul. We're the one with the cover art that looks like the TV show. Uh, pick us, not the other guys. I feel I feel like we're the OGs. So uh, please hit the subscribe button and uh, get those uh, episodes downloaded to your device as soon as they're released. Uh, although not for Air much Bud longer. Three, that's it. That's the one. One more time. Airbuds three. Yeah. Everyone, go check out Airbuds three. Um, all right. So for Glenn Beauvais, I'm Anthony Lewis. We will be back. We will be back next week for the penultimate episode of Better Call Saul Season 3, Episode 9, called Fall. Who are you gonna die?